Superpowers on the Superpower Up podcast, the show that lifts the voice of love from orgasms to superpowers and everything in between. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Sex, Love, and Superpowers podcast show. I'm your host, Tatiana Berende, and today I have with me an incredible powerhouse of a woman, Amy Jo Goddard, and we are going to be talking about sex, power, and leadership, self-development in the workplace. Before we begin, I want to tell you a little bit about Amy Jo. She's hailing from a military dad and recovering Catholic, proudly Sandra D. mom. Amy Jo Goddard had no other choice but to become a sex educator, just to sail the shaky waters of human experience and help her family survive. Actually, they don't really take sex advice from her, but thousands of others have. Amy Jo is author of Woman on Fire, Nine Elements to Wake Up Your Erotic Energy, Personal Power and Sexual Intelligence, and co-author of the best-selling classic Lesbian Sex Secrets for Men, recently published in second edition. She earned her master's degree in human sexuality education at New York University and has been teaching and speaking about feminism and sexuality for over two decades, including her TEDx talk, Owning Your Sexual Power. She facilitates sexual empowerment programs and trains sexual empowerment coaches and educators. She also works with companies to create workplace cultures that honor consent, equality, stellar communication, and collaborative leadership. Her forthcoming film, At Your Cervix, examines patient consent and bodily autonomy in gynecology and medical education, aiming to end unethical practices that harm both patients and medical students. Welcome to the show, Amy Jo. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, that you're here. And I'm, I just, I love what you're doing in the world. I think it's so important and so needed. And so, I mean, I know you've been doing it for a long time, but especially this topic that we've chosen for today uh, feels very timely. So I'm going to I'm gonna throw you in the pool. And I'm going to ask you our starter question. If you could share with us, what are your superpowers? I have a bunch of superpowers. I guess the ones that, um, that I'll share. Um, one is is that I'm really good at creating um, beautiful, empowered healing spaces where um, people can do their work. Brave spaces. I'm really good at at creating that um, and creating beauty beauty in groups. Um, and one of the superpowers I've been celebrating a little bit lately when people have been asking is I, because I, um, a friend of mine recently acknowledged it about me. We were on our way to a birthday party and I was like, oh, I've got to write my card. And so we were like in New York City, we were on the train and I was like writing my card. And she's like, card writing is one of your superpowers. And I was like, you're totally right. <laughs> I, I love writing cards. You know, I'm a definite like words of appreciation, love language person. Mm-hmm. And um um, and you know, we don't get enough personal cards anymore. And so I, I keep saying, I'm going to like write cards once a week or I'll write a card every morning. And I haven't done that yet, but, um, but I'm very good at it when I suddenly do it. <laughs> so and I love to receive them too. Yeah. Who doesn't like getting mail, right? It's so rare these days. Oh my God. The mail isn't what it used to be. Right. <laughs> right. When it was all that and no bills or boring things like that. Right. <laughs> I love it. Um, and I love that you know that love language about yourself. So I want to jump into this topic with you um, because you just finished this conference, Sex, Power, and Leadership. 
And I would love our audience to know more about what that is, how that work came about. And I mean, it's, it's such a huge topic right now with me too and everything and these, these dynamics that we're constantly navigating and, and how to do it, how to do it well. I don't really like to think that there's a right and a wrong way to do it, but I think, you know, we're all learning and we're all kind of fumbling through this together. And, and I also do believe that there is a more evolved way that we are growing into together and we're sort of molding each other into um, we are going to have to go to a quick break because I don't want to. I don't want to launch into this conversation and then have to cut it off because I know it's going to be a really good one. Uh, but before we go to the break, will you tell everybody where they can find out more about you? Yeah, I mean everything. My hub is basically my name, AmyJoGoddard.com, and um, yeah, and the conference is still live and available. We'll talk about it, but you can just put slash Sex Power Leadership when you go to my workshop uh, or my website, and you'll you'll find it. Awesome. So that's Amy Jo Goddard, A-M-Y-J-O-G-O-D-D-A-R-D.com. We're talking about sex, power, and leadership, self-development in the workplace. And we're going to dive into this really juicy topic when we return. So stay tuned. This is going to be a good one. Are you here to change the world? Do you talk about things like vibration, frequency, awakening, and consciousness? Are you pretty sure you have superpowers? The Superpower Net is unlike normal coaching programs and conscious communities. We provide training, intuitive guidance, peer-to-peer learning, intensive one-on-one coaching, and a high vibrational network of people just like you. When you join the Net, you get 24-7 access to a collaborative group of people who support you as you master your personal power and unlock your superpowers. If you're ready to use your superpowers to change the world, then join the superpower net today. Visit superpowerexperts.com slash the net to learn more. All right. So if you could just tell our audience how this conference came about, how this this theme came about, was it was it inspired by Me Too? Were you starting to do this work before Me Too? What catalyzed it? Yeah, no, it absolutely was catalyzed by me too, as I was watching everything that was happening in the fall and I was preparing to do an online um, event and I didn't quite know what I wanted to do or what I could contribute that would be a little bit different, which I'm always looking to do to not, not regenerate what's already being done, but to see what I can add to the conversation. I realized that I really wanted to do something where I would bring together a lot of diverse voices from really different perspectives to talk about sex, power, and leadership and this nexus of of these three pieces of who we are and and where we are right now and to really look at having the higher level conversation that I know I'm ready for and a lot of people are really wanting and are ready for. Um, You know, Me Too is still happening. It's not like it's over. Um, And... Me Too, What Next? You know, we started hashtagging Me Too, What Next as part of the conference because it really is about like, okay, how can we now take the conversation to the 2.0 or 3.0 level and really um, educate ourselves about feminism and intersectionality and, you know, how race plays into this, how disability and ability status plays into this, how these different parts of who we are Um, relate to sex and power and leadership and looking at, you know, not only how that functions in organizations, but looking at how, 
you know, looking at, at sex and power from the BDSM perspective, from the kink world, looking at it from a sex worker perspective. Um, I would say our panel on sex workers was one of the most popular panels. People loved it because they don't hear that perspective enough. Mm -hmm. um, we brought in people like Adrian Marie Brown, who wrote Emergent Strategy and is, you know, I think really talking about leadership and collaboration in a very important and in an important way, and I don't necessarily want to say new, but in a way like she's, she's bringing some ideas together that are really critical um, and that aren't always kind of looked at um, together. Um, we brought in Charlene Carruthers, who um, is one of the founders of Black Youth Project 100, um, who just did an incredible talk. We brought in Beverly Little Thunder, who started the first women's Sundance ceremony in the United States, mm. um, which is known as, you know, it's known as Turtle Island in native communities. But if I say that, people are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so um, so in tur on Turtle Island. And so we brought in some really diverse people, um, Meg John Barker, who is talking about how we need to stop using LGBTQ and start using um, gender relationship and sexual diversity or I think I mixed that up, gender, sexual, and relationship diversity, right? And so there's like a lot of thinkers as a part of this conference and many, many panel discussions that we did, a lot of, um, a couple of panels on gynecology and birth and, you know, like really looking at these different spaces where sex and power come together. And certainly we talked about sex. We talked about the gender gap and the wage gap and the orgasm gap. We talked about sexual liberation and the accessibility of sexual liberation. So um, we, we really ran the gamut. The one thing I didn't get was Hollywood. I wanted Hollywood mm -hmm. in there, I didn't get Hollywood. So, um, so yeah, so I think, you know, we really achieved our aims and, and I think far surpassed them in the level of conversation that is, is happening. Um, in the Facebook group, you know, we had thousands of people sign up for the conference. And so there was a lot of dialogue around these talks and, you know, and Willie Parker, my God, he did our closing keynote, Jacqueline Friedman did our opening keynote. I mean, we really had some heavy hitters here, but, you know, I think, and <laughs> I think, um, I, I think it's really about, you know, we're in a place where we need new language mm -hmm. and new ways to talk about this, as well as needing to do the personal development work. Yeah. That is so critical, and I think when we have those two things, then we're able to contribute more greatly to the collective and to the collective empowerment and sort of and what's happening with organizations and the communities that we're a part of. And so I think that's one of the cutting edge questions for me right now is like how do we how do we do that individual and that collective empowerment work? Yeah, well, I think they definitely go hand in hand, and I think you can't do the collective. I mean, this is this is a lot of the exploration that we do over at Superpower Experts, and what we've come to stand in really strongly is you actually can't do the collective work unless you have done that, some of the individual work. As much as you might want to, they're they're inextricably linked. Um, and there are plenty of people that will spend their lives doing the individual work and never participate in the collective work. Right. Right. So, yeah. So you're right. And I think there's a way in which people are realizing that like we can no longer sit on the sidelines. Like it's, it's totally. really all hands on deck right now. <laughs> yeah. It should be all hands on deck. I mean, this is big stuff. This is, this is a lot of heavy lifting that we need to fortify ourselves in order to be able to do. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. So when you go into an organization, what are some of the common themes that you see and that you address and work with? 
Yeah, we're at the beginning of doing this work and figuring out how we want to work in organizations. What I see happening is that HR departments um, and organ, you know, and corporations in general, I think, um, uh, whether it's a private corporation or whether it's like a nonprofit organization or something that's rather large where you're dealing with a lot of people and you've got an HR department. I think, I think that the line that pretty much has gotten towed for decades now, which has gotten us very little in the way of progress, is this idea that the workplace is a sanitized environment. Um, that this it's it's you know that this is a non-sexual it's like a sex-neutral environment. This is you know and I wrote a piece co-wrote a piece with Leonor Chia that was published in uh, MsMagazine.com. So about this about the myth of the sex-neutral workplace, mm-hmm. and I think that it is akin to abstinence-only sex education. Right. It's like this idea of like well if we just pretend like that doesn't happen here then we can just sort of like whitewash everything, bypass having hard conversations and dealing with the hard stuff and just smile and move on. And I really think that's pretty, that's what we've been doing in workplaces. Meanwhile, of course, what that has allowed is for all of this stuff to go on and be in the shadow because Mm -hmm. we're not looking at it. We're not addressing it in any kind of um, proactive way. And so we're not looking at sexual biases. We're not looking at gender bias. I mean, that, I think the gender bias piece is the piece that people are starting to deal with more. But I think when we're talking about sort of like the bigger piece of the sexual dynamics in the workplace, of the fact that, uh, you know, on our organization's panel, people, t- you know, some of our panelists talked about this and how, like, people fall in love at work. You know, there are sexual dynamics that happen at work that, you know, not all of which are non-consensual. And so how do we deal with that? Right. Um, you know, uh, one of our panelists, Andrea Barica, talked about how Bill and Melinda Gates fell in love at work. You know, I mean, this is, you know, this is not a new idea. And so, you know, d- different people have different ideas about that and about the kinds of boundaries that we need to have. But the reality is, if we don't talk about it and create a set of norms for how we would like people to handle things like that when they come up, then people don't know. And then we end up in you know, I think the situation that we're looking at now where there's a lot of really problematic things. Um, So I think it's been all just so suppressed of, you know, oh, we just don't talk about that here. You know, this is like the workplace. We don't, we don't deal with sexuality here. Well, you know, your, your employees don't show up to work without their sexuality. You know, sexuality isn't like an outfit you put on or you decide to wear or not wear, you know, like, like, you know, they show up as whole people. And so you have to address them as whole people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, one of the things that, and I'm, I'm curious if, if this came up on the panel, I'm sorry that I missed it. I've been traveling and wasn't able to attend, but I'm really looking forward to tuning in because it, it sounds fascinating and is, of course, right up my alley. But one of the things that I have noticed and seen, um, especially in men who are in positions of of traditional positions of power and influence, it seems like there is a, a, a deep fear that this whole movement has has really brought to the surface. And it's almost like a, I don't know what to say. I'm afraid that if I say or do anything, I'm going to do it wrong and I'm going to get in a lot of trouble. So I'm just going to like 
pack it all in, which doesn't work. You know, ultimately it's going to end up squirting out sideways somewhere, probably in some horrible way. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm curious to hear your take on that. And if you've, because I, you know, I, I heard you talking about language and, and, and setting up certain, you know, guidelines, if you will, that wasn't the word you used. I can't remember exactly the word that you used, but, and I think that that is really important. And I also think that we run the risk of, um, sort of putting people in like you have to fit in this box and if you don't fit in this box you know it's like you get in a lot of trouble um i mean we do that with laws in our culture right we do we have sort of a a, an agreement a societal agreement that you know killing people is not okay i guess the question that comes up for me is there's so many different perspectives and so many different places and positions that people are coming from in this conversation, how do we come up with agreed upon codes of ethics, if you will, that feel good and right to everybody? I mean, I think you have to be in the process. You can't bypass the process. Right. It's not something that you can just have a couple of people right behind closed doors and then present it to everyone and being like, okay, this is the new workplace culture. That's not how culture develops, you know, right. and that's a part of any kind of cultural group, uh, workplace culture, like, you know, that, I mean, it, it gets created by the day to day actions that people take and the actions that they take, you know, are based on a whole variety of things, including the expectations um, that are placed upon them. And so that's a piece of it, but it's, it really needs to be more collaborative. And I think that people are realizing that by not collaborating um, and by this top-down approach, uh, there's a lot of people that are getting left out and, and are getting hurt and yeah, and are rightfully angry about that at this point. So um, yeah, we had a panel as part of the conference as well called the sexual double bind for men. And so we talked about, you know, that sexual double bind, which I, I think is, is really important to also address that men, I think, are very confused right now and many don't know what to do. Um, I, you know, I think by and large, you know, a lot of men, hopefully most men want to do right by women. They want to figure out how to do power better, you know, do power sharing differently. Um, I think many haven't learned how to do that and haven't seen role modeling for that. Um, and I think there's a lot of expectations on men around sexuality that are very unrealistic and that play into some of the dynamics that end up happening, as you talked about, you know, things kind of like leak out sideways because they're not really being addressed. You know, I mean, that's what we would call shadow. That's what happens with shadows. When we push things into the shadow, we don't talk about them. So, you know, I think that people are wanting those solutions. I think there is a lot of fear right now. Um, And, and we also can't stay in the fear of getting it wrong because then we'll never actually take any action to, to get it right. We're all going to mess up. We're all going to um, not say a thing the same way. You know, I think any person that's been in communities of color and has worked on their internalized racism and, and white supremacy knows this too, you know, we're going to screw it up. Um, But we can't be afraid of screwing it up and then just not do anything. Yeah. Um, And, and that's, I, I think, you're totally spot on with that. And I think there just does have to be a certain level of humility and acknowledging that, yeah, we're going to mess this one up and, and we're going to fumble through it because 
it's almost like we don't have, I mean, we always have choice. We have a choice to, to just pretend it's not happening and, and shut the blinders. And unfortunately, I do think there are some people who are doing that and trying to just continue on business as usual. But I think collectively we're at a point, we're at, we're at a, like a pressure point where it's going to become less and less possible to continue doing that. Oh, I think so too. I think you will get left behind if you do that. Yeah. So, um, you know, like this isn't going to stop. <laughs> you know, the backlash right. is going to keep coming. We're already seeing some backlash. And of course that's going to come. Um, people are going to be discredited, you know, as always happens, you know, women get discredited when they, when they speak up, when they, you know, certainly when they speak up about oppressors and about abuse, um, you know, we're going to continue to see that it is not going to stop the tsunami of what is happening right now. So, you know, I think that that's really, people need to really take that seriously. Um, and I don't want people to, you know, necessarily be making changes out of fear, but sometimes it is fear that pushes us forward into um, wanting to be a better ally, wanting to listen more, wanting to figure out new ways of doing things. Um, and I think that is really scary for people to be like, oh my God, the way we've been doing this has been really harmful to like, to women, you know, to people of color, to like, that's painful. I think it's painful to come to that realization. And so I think that some of the backlash and some of the things we're seeing, some of the anger that's being directed back at people coming out around me too is coming from that place as well. Yeah. And, you know, it takes a, a tremendous amount of courage to go within and to find one's internalized oppressor, to find all the ways. I mean, there's a lot of enculturation that men have been at the receiving end of. You know, there's a, there's a lot of education and that has not been good <laughs> that people have been brought up with. And that's not as to be said as an excuse, but just as like, there's, when you start on this journey, you're going to have to really grapple with some of that and, and identify it and name it and own it because it's only through that owning and acknowledging it that it can shift. Right. Yep. Otherwise, it's outside of us, and we have no power or control over changing it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of work to do. Like, this is, this is deeply problematic. And, you know, every week, you know, I don't know exactly when this is airing right now. I know that, you know, as we're talking, I'm looking at just what happened in the last week, you know, and I made a Facebook post about this a couple of days ago. I'm like... You know, for anyone that, that still questions whether we live in a misogynistic rape culture, let's just look at the last week. And I literally was able to list probably 10 bullet points just off the top of my head. <laughs> like, you know, Mute R. Kelly is happening, um, you know, all, uh, you know, more stuff with different Olympic, you know, with Olympics Taekwondo is coming out. Um, you know, uh, the situation with all these Nike executives having a, to leave because of all the abuse allegations. Um, Eric Schneiderman, the attorney general of New York, just stepped down. I mean, you know, it's just like so many things literally inside of one week, inside of one week. And, you know, any week, you know, we could look at it and probably see something similar. I mean, maybe it was a particularly bad week, but the point being that this is this is what the culture has been. Yeah. It is bubbling over right now because that we have to change it. We have to create a change. We are yeah. not going to survive this way anymore. And women are not going to be silenced anymore. They're, they're, that will not happen 
ever again the way that it has happened. I think that from a business perspective, there needs to be some acknowledgement that this is eventually and inevitably going to affect people's bottom line. If you want to talk in that language, you know, to, to not have a workplace that is conscious of these dynamics is going to have a huge impact over time because especially the millennial generation is like on top of this stuff for the most part. And they want, they want more inclusive environments. Um, They want more conscious environments and, people who are running environments that aren't that are, are going to be hard pressed in their, in their bottom line, I think. Yeah. I mean, they're not going to find the workers that they want because people aren't going to want to work with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'll tell you one thing, 51% of the population gets to spend a lot of money and we pay attention to where we spend our money. That's right. We're paying attention more and more and more to that. So yeah, people don't want to support companies where this stuff is happening and they're not addressing it. You know, here's the thing. I, I think that, one of the things that I think is important to say is that, and this goes for universities just as much as it goes for workplaces. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Mm-hmm. Because this is the cultural soup we're all existing in. This is across the board. This is every industry. Like there's nobody that hasn't, there's no, this is not Republicans versus Democrats. This is not, you know, tech versus Hollywood or, you know, any, like this is across industries. This is, this is cultural misogyny. This is cultural um, um, ignorance about sexuality because we're not dealing with the underlying gender issues, the underlying sexual issues, the underlying sexual dynamics that are at work. All of this stuff is bubbling up and it has created an environment where people could get away with abusing women. And when that environment does, when there's no interruption of that dynamic, when there's no um, really concerted effort to make a shift, that is going to be there because it's the larger culture that we live in. So this isn't about any one company being bad. It's not about like Nike's bad or this company, Weinstein, or, you know, it's, it, I mean, there are certain things that are like really horrendous, right? Certain people that have done things that are particularly um, horrendous, but there, this, this happens across the board. And so this pattern that universities have had of like, well, let's just not deal with it and sweep it under the rug so we can pre- pretend like sexual assault doesn't happen on our campus. Sexual assault happens on every campus. Yeah. There's a lot of things that contribute to that. So you can either address that and accept that this is a matter, this is a fact of like what happens when we have all these young people that don't have enough sexual information, that have a lot of alcohol, that have, you know, a lot of social pressures and academic pressures and the list goes on. This is an inevitable result that will happen if we don't do something, let's figure out what we need to do. And that's what companies need to be doing. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. So if you're not addressing this, your day will come when there's going to be a very big problem um, that might be really hard to clean up. So say that there's somebody listening to this right now who is in some sort of HR position at, at a company or who runs their own business what are, or is just someone who wants to educate themselves more about this and doesn't want this to, to be in their workplace, what are some of the first steps that you would recommend that they take? I mean, I think you have to start to educate yourself about 
deeper ideas of what consent culture is, first of all. And I think of some of the things that I'm talking about and many of the things that we actually talked about in this conference, um, there has to be a certain level of getting more aware beyond the surfacey, yeah, sexual harassment is bad and we don't want that to happen here. Like, yeah, we all know that. That's not the conversation that needs to be happening. Right. There have been sexual harassment trainings in companies for a long time. It doesn't seem to be doing much. (laughs) Decades. Obviously, they're not Mm -hmm. working. Right. And then then you need to do a real intervention. And that means you bring in real experts who understand these issues. Um, There are a lot of us who are doing this work and who have been doing this work for decades. So, you know, and I, I, I treat this similarly. It's, it's like um, the analogy is like, you know, when you're in like junior high school and high school and you don't have the dedicated sex ed class, who did they have teach sex ed? The gym teacher, right? <laughs> oh, let's have the gym teacher do it because this is just an extracurricular thing like gym and um, gym has something to do with the body. So yeah, they can talk about sex. Right. That's ludicrous. I mean, it's <laughs> ludicrous. Yeah. And I think that sexual harassment in the workplace has been the same. It, the way it's been treated is the same thing. I'm just like, okay, yeah, they could just watch a video training and then, you know, we're done. We can check off the box that we did what we were supposed to do and great, we move on. You need to bring in people that are really trained to address these issues and to have the more nuanced conversations with your executives and also with your employees about what the issues are in your workplace and how to get underneath them and address the real causes of those issues. And that's what's not happening. Yeah, I think there needs to be a willingness to face the shadow, to turn around and face it and look at it without fear that it's going to consume you. Because the ironic thing about the shadow is that if you don't look at it, it will consume you, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And, and I just, I really want, I, w- I want that message to be really loud and clear for people that there has to be a willingness to look. And even if it means, you know, maybe acknowledging that things aren't all bright and shiny like you want them to be, there has to be a willingness to look. Well, and this is similar, you know, going back to like the individual versus collective conversation, this mirrors what we do in our personal relationships around sex. What do people do? They, um, they are afraid to ask their partner about their sex life or about how sex is going for them because they're afraid to hear the answer. They're, they're so terrified that, oh my God, maybe she's not enjoying it. Maybe she's not having the orgasm she wants to have. Maybe she's not, you know, like fulfilled or she's going to give me feedback or he or, you know, whoever, whatever gender, maybe they're going to give me feedback that I don't want to hear or that I'm not like perfect at it, you know, which of course nobody's perfect with sex. So I think what happens is we just, we avoid conversations about sex because it feels so scary. It feels so hard, first of all, to have the conversation because we have no role models for how to have it. And then second, we're so afraid of what we're going to hear that we'd rather not ask the questions. Doctors do the same thing. Doctors and nurses, they, they'll avoid asking questions in a sexual history or even doing a sexual history when they should be doing them because they are afraid they're not going to know how to answer the questions. or yeah, uncomfortable with the topic. Yeah. So we got to stop doing that. And, and that's why you bring in people who know how to talk about sex and sexuality and you take it seriously. You know, this isn't just about putting women in executive positions. This is deeper than that. You know, that's an important step in looking at our gender, the issues around gender equity um, and giving women more power. 
But if you just put women in executive positions and you never have a different conversation and they're just towing the same line that the men have been towing, not a whole lot is going to change. You might have some incremental change because there's a different perspective. But if you're not having a new conversation and nobody's driving that conversation, whoever, whoever is the driving force in your organization, then you're not going to make the changes that you really need to make in order to make it a safe workplace for everyone and to really create that consent-based culture that we really need to be creating. Yeah. Or, you know, I thought it was so interesting and I'm sure you saw the Tony Robbins video that went viral like what last month or something. Yeah. Um, but people you know. actually interviewed her for the open for our conference. So the woman that uh, challenged him. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought it was so fascinating the story that he brought forward about his friend who, you know, chose not to hire the more qualified candidate because she was a very attractive woman. And I think that, you know, that to me is like, it's so sad that that's, that that's the response that, and, and, and I think that's, that's the avoidance response. That's the, I just don't want to deal with this. So I'm going to hire somebody who's not as qualified, who again, like coming around to the bottom line conversation, like if you hire people who aren't as good and aren't going to take your company where it could go because you're afraid of what could happen because you're not addressing these issues, like that's going to come back and bite you in the butt eventually, right? Well, not to mention, I'm pretty sure that's illegal. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, most people thought that was pretty appalling that Tony Robbins even used that as an example. Right. Um, because the implication seemed to be, see women, this is what's happening because you're speaking out and making a big deal out of everything. You're not going to get hired now. Um, you know, see, see what a problem this is. I mean, it, it was just like, it was appalling that that was that seemed to be part of his argument of why me too is a problem rather than why we need to actually address the issues that are coming up in me too. It was like, wow. And not to mention that, that a story like that pits women against each other. And that is part of how patriarchy remains intact. Yeah. Yep. Well, this is a, a deep conversation and, and a really important one. And I'm just so grateful for you for stepping up into this work and for taking it on. Um, it's inspiring. You know, this is a, this is an area that we are also talking about moving into because it's so needed right now. Um, yeah, we've, we've got to shift this conversation and we've got to shift how we relate to each other, how we relate relate to our own sexuality and how we relate to it in other people. I mean, and we didn't even get into like the subtle energetic dynamics that that come up. Mm -hmm. Uh, I feel like that's a, that's a whole other conversation, but I just want to appreciate you so much for, for doing the work that you're doing in the world, for showing up that way and for coming on the show to talk about it. And thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, Yeah. The conference remains up. So, you know, even though the live conference is over, people, want to hear these conversations and they are all extremely relevant to what we're dealing with right now. Um, I do invite you to check it out because. Beautiful. Yeah, I definitely am going to. And I think that, you know, one of the things that you spoke to when I asked you how people can start, you said, educate yourself about, you know, consent culture. And some people might be like, what the hell's consent culture? Go check out her conference because I'm sure you'll learn a lot from it. You know, even though I haven't seen it, I know 
I know there's good stuff in there and I'm going to go check it out um, and continue to educate myself more deeply because there's so many nuances to this stuff and it, it does run so deep and so thick in our culture. So you can go to amyjogoddard.com. And what was the backslash for that? Uh, slash sex power leadership. Sex power leadership. Thanks again for being on the show, Amy Jo. Um, just so, such a wonderful conversation, such brilliant work you're doing. Oh, thank you, Tatiana. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And to our listeners, thank you for showing up, for tuning in. And until next time, go out and love yourself so that you can go shine that love on the world. Many blessings. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today. <laughs>